seats if you haven't already. Thanks, band. It's the longest you've led worship for about 18 months, isn't it? Pretty impressive, so um, that's great. Won't it be great when we can actually sing and then have coffee at the end as well? I mean, in that order, probably. Depends what time of the morning you normally come. Um, I just want to share a few thoughts on uh, the Spirit of God tonight. I'm not going to speak for too long, famous last words, but um, uh, I think it's, uh, I will say a little bit about this in a moment, but as I said just now, I really think we're coming into a season, we are in a season as the people of God where our engagement with the Spirit is going to be the single most important thing that determines what does or doesn't happen in the next five to ten years. I haven't said that publicly yet, but there we go. It's out there. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn it uh, on uh, or open it up to John chapter 14. We're not going to go through the whole of John 14, 15, 16. We're going to get to some of the verses in there in a moment. But essentially in these two chapters, what we have is Jesus explaining the work of the Spirit as an extension of his own work. And there's a number of things he says that are really helpful for us, both in understanding what it means to be people of the Spirit in terms of how we can engage with God and his Spirit for us, but also what it means to be the church, the empowered people of God. And and if you read this book or this book of books in its entirety, the the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost isn't like a, a sudden plot twist that no one saw coming. It's not like God changed his mind because the whole Jesus thing didn't quite work out. Quite the opposite. The Jesus thing makes complete sense in the sweep of the story, as does the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit that is poured out at Pentecost is the same Spirit, we're told, that raises Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's the same spirit, we're told, that hovered over the toho vuhu, the the uncreated uh, chaos right at the beginning, and orders it for human flourishing, ushers in this world of beauty for the people of God to enjoy with God. It's the same spirit that God breathes into Adam and Eve, the first humans. And that spirit, Paul says, dwells in our hearts by faith. That same spirit is the one that we're invited time and time and time again to be clothed with, to ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You can have the spirit come and dwell in you in a sort of passive, yeah, I kind of get it, theologically kind of way. Or there can be this active engagement with the spirit. This recognition that the power of the Spirit poured out at Pentecost is is not just for then and them, but for us now. We live in the age of the Spirit. And so in some traditions, every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, right? And Paul doesn't invite us into, I don't think, in, in his unpacking of the Spirit, theology of the Spirit, what's called pneumatology. He doesn't, he doesn't invite us to kind of just go about doing our thing and, and kind of believe that somehow the Spirit does his thing around us and through us. His expectation is much more of an engagement with the third person of the Trinity, who is the one Jesus sends in his place. We'll come to that in a moment. Paul says, doesn't he, in all sorts of places about how we're to engage with the Spirit. Eagerly, he says, desire the gift of prophecy, for example. There's an assumption, an expectation that we will partner with the Spirit. 
And I recognize, even just looking around the room and knowing some of your stories, that not all of us will come from the same traditions around the things of the Spirit. And one of our real commitments here is, is good theology around the Spirit and good practice around the Spirit and room for different expressions of that in terms of how we engage with the Spirit. It's not all about coming to the front and having someone lay hands on you, although there is a place for that. I'm an introvert, as some of you know, that might surprise you. Socialized introvert, apparently, is the technical term. Um, and I, I can only think of about two times in my life where I've been slain in the power of the Spirit, which might freak some of you out. But I've got some friends, every time you go anywhere near them with a kind of a Jesus prayer, they start wobbling. And I've got other friends who are the most full of life. They've got the fruit of the Spirit oozing out of them. And yet, when they pray, when they ask the Spirit to minister... They look like they're waiting for a bus. In other words, let's not get fixated on the wrong things. This is about the invitation of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to, to dwell in their midst and to, and on behalf of them, go in their name and in their power, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit to reveal the heart of the Father. Amen? Good. Shall I get to my notes? Whew. In this... It, aforementioned brilliant book, Gentle and Lowly, the author says this about the Spirit. He says, the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen, not just seen, but felt, not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit, he says, takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. I love that. Friends, this isn't sort of theology class tonight. This is God the Father, in whose image we are made, wants you and I to enjoy his presence through the Spirit. It's in his presence, by the Spirit, we find fullness of joy, freedom, liberation, and all those things. So, quickly, John 14. The first passage is the two verses we find midway through that chapter, verses 16 to 17. This is where Jesus, for the first time in John's Gospel, explicitly mentions the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world, we're told, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That word advocate sometimes is rightly translated comforter. It can be comforter or advocate. The Greek is clever here. It's actually both and because to separate those two things out is actually unhelpful. Because when we think about advocate, we think in legal terms, someone who advocates on our behalf. And of course, Jesus does do that. And the Spirit, we're now told, also does that. Someone who stands with us before God stands with us in the face of all that the world throws at us and isn't just watching from the, on the sidelines interceding for us, which Jesus also does, but advocating for us. But advocating for us because he wants to. Not because he has to, but because you and I are his sisters and his brothers and he loves us. And the heart of Christ is drawn to us. The Spirit wants to be with us. Jesus doesn't send his Spirit because he has to. The Spirit doesn't do the things in us and around us and through us because he has to. 
He does it because he wants to, because that was always the plan. And so when we come to him because we need comfort, it's not thinking, oh God, are you going to be nice to me today? It's saying, God, I know you're for me. You sent your spirit so that I could be with you wherever I am. Gone are the days where the people of God have to be in one place at one time to encounter the presence of God in their midst because now the Spirit can be in all places with all people at all times. All you have to do is say, come Holy Spirit. In fact, here's the thing. I've discovered in my darkest moments, my hardest moments, and I've had some, particularly in the last few years, sometimes you don't even have to say that. Sometimes you just have to think that you're going to say that. And he's there. Because the heart of God, the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is to be with us, to advocate for us. And we're told he'll be with us forever. This isn't like a, well, while things are going quite well, guys, I'm kind of up for helping you, but, you know, if your grades slip, I'm out of here. There's too many of you to go around. No. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. The word for good there is complete. He who began a complete work in you will complete it. It sounds double Dutch, but it actually makes more sense in the Greek. It's, it's not a good work as in always being nice. It's like he's going to turn you into a masterpiece. Because nothing, nothing is too hard for God. If he can raise Jesus from the dead and defeat Satan in the process, he can deal with us. And he can deal with the biggest stuff that's going on for you, even when no one else knows about it. Which, side note, is one of the reasons why God is so grieved when Christians are really, really bad at treat, uh, treat each other badly. It's like, you of all people should be showing each other what I'm like by the way you love one another. Talked about that, didn't we, recently? The Spirit of God, when the Spirit's not in the mix, so often the people of God become brittle and difficult. Miss the point. Don't get me started. John chapter 14, verse 26, he goes on to say, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work. I know you're just getting your head around me and what I'm trying to do, but I'm trying to prepare you now for a time that's going to come when I'm going to return to the Father and I'm going to hand over to the Holy Spirit. Because this is the plan. This is going to make sense. This is all going to make sense. And we know it makes sense, right? So notice the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in the name of Jesus. So the Father sends the Son, and Jesus says he's going to send the Spirit in my name, on my behalf, to extend the work that I've begun, remember. He will teach you all things. That's the first thing he says. And the second thing he says is, and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us what? What's he going to teach us? I mean, this is a question that entire PhDs have been done on, right? So you go and read sort of the big, thick commentaries, the ones that are kind of, oh, I don't always understand most of them, to be honest, but I've got them on my bookshelf because I try. They, they say, we don't really know exactly what Jesus is getting at here. It's 
not a specific thing, but they, we can extrapolate, they would say, based on everything else he says, that he's going to teach us what? What God's like? What it means to be human? How to love? His plan for the world? What it means to be the church? Everything. He's going to teach us everything because it's all his and it's all for him. So that means if we don't know what to do, we just say, Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach me how to teach these kids. Teach me how to run a PCC meeting. I still pray that one. Teach me how to deal with what happened to me. Teach me how to forgive Teach me how to ask for forgiveness. Teach me how to share my faith. Just keep going. That list goes on. Ever felt like you need teaching on how to do something? Jesus says the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing I noticed the first time a while back, a couple of, about a month ago, three weeks ago, in thinking about this. This little extra thing. He'll remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you ever have those moments where you remember things that Jesus has already said to you. And you're like, oh, forgot that. Maybe it's a prophetic word. Maybe it's a, you know, something that someone showed you as you engage with the scriptures in life group and it, ding, revelation, Jesus spoke to you and you saw something and then, and then you forget it. Was that just me? It's, it's me and Bethan. Okay, so, so here Jesus says, the Spirit will remind you of those things I've said to you. Side note, one of the things I feel like the Lord is saying to us collectively as the church, and I don't just mean all saints, I mean the church, as we think about what lies ahead, we're rightly saying, God, speak to us about what lies ahead. But I keep feeling like God is saying, and a number of people have shared this without me, without, without them knowing I'm thinking this, saying, God was speaking before the pandemic. Do you remember that? Do you remember those sermon series, Rich, that you preached about the presence and the power of the Spirit and saying God's preparing us because he wants to move in power, that something's going to have to give in this cultural moment and that crisis always precedes renewal. I remember preaching that and God was speaking to us and I knew in my gut something was going to give. I never expected a pandemic. It's awful. It's horrendous. But God is at work in and through it. And so as we start to say, God, speak to us for what lies ahead, part of what we've got to do is say, Spirit of God, would you remind me, would you remind us of what you've already said? Not just two years ago, but five years ago, ten years ago, and actually, crucially, what, looking at the text, what Jesus has said here. And one of the things he says is, it might get harder before it gets easier. What if this is the easiest time in our lives to be a follower of Jesus? Are we still in? This is the work of the Spirit. Let's turn over John 16. This is going to be the longest sermon you've heard, I reckon, for a while as well, particularly because I didn't script it line by line. Sorry. Feel free to go at any point. I won't be offended. John chapter 16, verse 7, he says this, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is partly to comfort them right there. But we have to remember this. Because I, maybe it's just me, but, I, you know, particularly because I'm reading this book and it's just, oh, it's like balm for my heart, my soul. I want to be with Jesus. Can you imagine if you've been with Jesus? You've been part of his team, carrying his bags? And then he says, I'm going. 
But he's like, it's better for you that I go. It's good for you because the work that needs to get done in my name as my body, it ain't going to happen unless I go and send the Spirit in my place. It's not going to work. And, and elsewhere in the Scriptures, he says, doesn't he, I go on to prepare a room for you in my Father's house. There's going to be a day, he says, when you will be with me. We'll be with him properly for the first time, and they will be with him again. But between now and then, there's work to do. And the way they've said the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said they're going to do this is they're going to send the Spirit. Which is why Jesus says to them, here's what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Go and make disciples, but wait. Wait for the promised gift. Because otherwise what you'll do is you'll go off in your own strength and you'll have building projects and vision statements and websites, program-driven church, right? And of course, that's not a problem for us. Um, he said, you need the power of the Spirit power of the spirit and all that other stuff helps but it doesn't do it for you it's the spirit in us right i feel like i've got some pentecostal friends on the front row including jess who's an ordained anglican so that is a sign of unity in the church right there i tell you keep going john 16 verse 12 to 15 i have so much more to say to you he says verse 12 more than you can now bear and the word for bear there is it's actually to do with revelation. It's like you would not be able to cope with what I want to show you. If I could draw back the curtain and show you everything I see, you couldn't cope. It's the same word, actually, that I'm told, according to those big, thick commentaries, in Revelation, when Luke has the revelation, sorry, John has the revelation on Patmos. And, and you know, he falls down as though dead. He doesn't fall down dead. It says he falls down as though dead. He, has, he can't cope with what he sees. Can't bear it. And in that situation, Jesus looks to him and says, stand up. Like gives him the ability to cope. That's what Jesus is saying here. But he says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. Remember, Jesus, I only do what I see the Father doing. Spirit's the same. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. They're on the same team. They've got the same plan. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Guys, we're getting caught up, swept up as people of the Spirit in something that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing. And they want us to be involved. It is their joy to invite us in, to get us to get to know them, to understand how it works. That's why Jesus is spelling it out. Guys, this, this is it. This is what it means to be human at this point in human history. Do you want in? And I, I came to faith because I looked around and I was at a university and I had lots of different friends with different worldviews and the only one that actually made any sense was this one. And the only ones that had any joy and freedom in the living out of their faith were charismatic, spirit-filled Christians. And, and so I'm like, oh, it makes complete sense. And there, here I am. <laughs> I'm a vicar. It's <laughs> all a bit of a surprise. John 20, keep going. Verses 21 to 22. Peace be with you, Jesus says. 
This is towards the end of his earthly ministries. He's starting to commission them. Peace be with you. The word there in for peace is the word for shalom. The wholeness, the fullness of God be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathes on them, ruach, the breath of God. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not sending you in my name, in your power. I'm not sending you in my name with a badge and a dog collar. I'm sending you in my name and in the power of my spirit. Mission, missio, the Latin word missio from which we get mission means to be sent. God is a missionary, sends his son, sends the spirit, and they send us. Which is not, which is why it's not come to us as we build our church. Everybody, you're welcome. It's no, no, we, we, we go. Jesus builds the church, we go. Friends, I feel like I'm preaching to the converted, which is a joy, actually. But we need this reminder time and again, don't we? Particularly as we come out of lockdown, particularly as we get our heads around what life's about. And right now, my sense would be many of us, me included, just feel pretty wrung out, pretty overwhelmed, a bit dazed, (laughs) I was chatting to a friend the other day who knows about psychology and psychiatry, and they were saying that actually their sense is that there's probably going to be a delayed reaction. There's a sense enormous, like we're kind of in shock. And so our coping mechanism is just to think we might be able to go on holiday somewhere hot. God, make it possible. But actually, the Spirit of God knows all of that. And I think the challenge for us is not only to do the self-care and all of that, but to not, not in the process, just park God, park Jesus, park the Spirit, park our mission, but actually to lean in and say, God, we're not here for us. If this was just about being with you, then we don't need to be here, but you need us here. We're your body. And so we need to come to you. We need to choose to come to you in this season, in that weariness, in that exhaustion, in that need of healing. And some of us just need to be carried along for a good long while yet by everybody else. That is church right there. I love it. But the rest of us, he's preparing something in us because he needs to do something through us. I'm convinced that Someone said to me the other day, will you please start to speak about what you think the church is going to look like in the coming weeks, months, and years? And I've been resisting it. And do you know why I've been resisting it? Because I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know, really. But I've got a few hunches, which I've realized are probably more than hunches. They're emerging God-given convictions, maybe. I don't know. One of them is that the church is going to be smaller. It's going to be smaller. Some people won't stick with it. It's too hard. I don't know about all saints per se. I'm talking about the church. Actually, all saints, we've done remarkably well, I think. Because you're amazing, basically. 
that collectively the church has been through a major stress test. And I, I don't know yet what's going to be on the other side, but my gut instinct is it's going to be smaller. But smaller doesn't necessarily mean weaker. I think the church that we're going to see emerge is going to be far more potent. Because the ones who stay with it are the ones that have stuck in with God. Because all the architecture of church, most of it got taken away. I mean, Zoom, but like Zoom? Anyone sick of Zoom? Anyone thankful for Zoom? It's like, ah! So we've made choices. And they might have felt like, well, I'm never going to forsake you, Lord. Choices. So I'm sticking with you regardless. But God honors that. I don't know beyond that. But what I do know is that this book of books and church history tells us that you only need a faithful remnant for God to do extraordinary things. That's all you need. Church historians say it's 10 to 20% of the church, white hot, is all you need for a new move of the Spirit. So I'm just saying, God, show me. Show me the ones who want to be set on fire. Let's throw fuel on our fires. Let's be the faithful remnant. Let's be the people who press into the Spirit, who turn up on a Sunday night when it's peeing down with rain because we want to be in God's presence with our friends, with our family, because we long to be caught up in this story. But by faithful remnant, I, I really mean people surrendered to the Spirit, people dependent on the Spirit, people who are willing to, to let God do his thing, to trust in him, to not only enjoy his presence, but to invite his power. To say, God, I'm sent, so send me. And I don't just mean to do uh, signs and wonders, although I believe in all of that. I don't just mean to preach the gospel, although I believe in that. I mean to get up tomorrow morning and go, wherever you've placed me, God, send me as a sign of your kingdom. May I be so set on fire that someone asks me in the canteen, what is up with you? To be the one that, as I'm in a meeting, has a, an, a sense from God about what's going on in the life of that person who's just out of whack today. And not to do the weird Christian thing of the Lord saying, but just to ask them in the coffee break uh, a question that would give you a way in. And to be the people who just walk through the streets of Worcester and pray as we go because we believe that. When we do that, something happens. Do you know what I'm trying to say? If you want to know what a faithful remnant looks like, Acts chapter 3. Most of the people that follow Jesus weren't there at his crucifixion. And they weren't there at his resurrection, and they weren't there in those 40 days. They weren't in the upper room. They faded away, but some didn't. And they gathered in a room. We know that it 
the Spirit came at nine in the morning, so it's probably this sort of time. Because they knew enough to say, God, we're in. So why not us? Should we stand? If we're able. And all we're going to do is do what God's people have always done and just say, come Holy Spirit. We already did it once. We'll do it again. And you know, sometimes what happens is we, um, we think we need music in the background or we think we need to do it. We don't. You don't. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> he's all like keen to get up here. We will have another song because he's got another song. But, but it's a choice, actually. You don't have to have your head around the theology of it. You just have to want it. <laughs> can't unencounter God. So, is your heart a hearth? Are you up for being part of that faithful group who just surrender afresh and say, God, do the stuff in me now because there's stuff for us to do. Pour out your spirit on me. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. If you're at home, you can do this. You can just, and it's weird, right? But just try it. Maybe stand if it's helpful. Maybe sit. Close your eyes. Hands open sometimes helps me just, and we wait. Spirit always, always comes. We can't always tell at the time. But it's the heart of God to draw near to people who invite him to. You know, Jesus walks through the crowded marketplace and the woman reaches out and touches him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. It's a busy marketplace before social distancing. And he goes, no, no, someone touched me. How do I know? Because power left me. Don't have to doubt that God will do something. He always does something. It's not always what we want when we want it. So God, tonight, pour out your spirit on us. <laughs>